This week's Women in Leadership podcast features Danuta Gray, who serves on the board of Almermore Bank London and Paddy Power PLC as a non-executive director. She previously headed up Telefonica, O2 in Ireland, for nine years at a time of huge change. She lives by the value of respect for people, no matter who they are or where they've come from, and it has stood her in good stead. She has a lot of sound advice for women who are ambitious to lead on everything from taking opportunities when they arise to negotiating the boardroom to managing family and having a good support network. She's well worth a listen to. And when you've finished listening, do go online to our website, womeninleadership.ie, and tell us what you think. Danuta Gray. My father was Polish, so he simplified the surname and anglicised it because nobody could spell it, but he, he made sure my brother and I kept our Christian names Polish. I can identify with that one. So the first question I was always like, where do you get that strange yes, name? Yes, yeah. Particularly years ago. First of all, I just want to ask you about your, your own story. You did your degree, first of all. It was a science degree, was it? Yes, it was biophysics. It's like an applied physics degree. And so originally I would have assumed myself I was going to stay in academia. That proved not to suit me at all. So after a couple of years trying that out, I um, I moved into uh, technology. So I decided to join what was then BT, British Telecoms, because it was going through a huge amount of change. And I sensed that communications was a field, along with IT, that, that could offer opportunity, and I proved right. Um, so I started off in a range of different roles. Uh, I was doing project management, I did technology, I was involved in managing networks, that kind of thing. Um, and I was lucky enough to get on, on these high potential type programs. So they opened doors in the organisation that may not have otherwise been open. Um, and I actually took the opportunity to move into sales um, to really understand the customer. Now you say it was about communications. That seems to be writ large in everything that you've done. Um, did you naturally take to communications? Would it, would it be one of your core skills? Um, Well, the communications for BT was obviously the telecommunications, so that was founded on the science. In terms of communications, as in communicating with people, no, I wouldn't have said it was a natural skill originally. Um, I I was always uh, very nervous um, and a hesitant speaker when I had to do it earlier in my career. Um, and it's one of those things where you just have to do it, you have to practice, take some lessons from others and a bit of training, and then slowly but surely you'll get more comfortable with it. So these are skills that can be learned? Absolutely, completely. Now you say doors just opened to you in these high potential, star or these high, high performance things, but you must have had the guts inside of you initially yes. to say, yes, I can do this. Sometimes that can be hard for, for yeah. women, or people will say it'll be hard for women, why did it work for you or how did you mentally prepare yourself to get involved in these? Um, I'm not sure I felt the... I'm not sure it was a yes, I can do it as much as a drive and an ambition. So it was more I should do this. You know, I should pursue this opportunity in order to get on. I didn't necessarily believe I could do it all because I landed in some roles where I was completely out of my comfort zone. Um, but I, you have to ask... If you don't ask, you won't get the opportunity. People don't, um, you know, you can do a great job in lots of areas of your career, but unless they know you're there, then why on earth would someone offer you the opportunity? So that type of vehicle, those types of development programs early in my career were things I felt would help. They did help. And therefore, I would 
ask to see if I could be put forward for one or two. Now, I've seen an interview that you did before um, saying that sometimes there are women who will do a really good job and they'll do it in their silo or in their corner and never get out and network. Um, is it really important, you know, as a woman in particular, that you put yourself out there and you get into the space where people are seeing how good the job is that you're doing? Well, it, it isn't just as a woman. I mean, to get on in a walk of life, um, sitting quietly in the corner and, and working hard is, is admirable and that suits many people. If you have ambition to progress, then you need to uh, be informed of what the opportunities are. You need to know how to get doors to open for you. And in order to do that, you need to have contacts. You need to network with others who are either like you or can make that happen. Um, so I would say that to all young people. It, it, is, it appears that doing that is something that um, women have a range of reactions to, from a, it's a waste of time, <laughs> I'm too busy, to I don't like doing it. And I understand all of that, nonetheless it's necessary. Does it involve a certain amount of strategic thinking and actually giving yourself time to think and work out where do I want to be in a certain number of years? Where do I want my career to go? Uh, possibly, although um, myself and many of the people that I've spoken to who have gone on to progress well in their careers, didn't have a fixed plan. They had ambition and they had drive and they knew they wanted to, to progress to whatever it was in their sphere meant, meant success. Um, well, what they did was they pursued opportunities. So I think if you have too fixed a view of what that could look like, then you, you may not say yes to things that look like a sideways move or could be unusual. But I just think if you want to grow and progress, then you, you have to look for and grab opportunities as they come your way. Um, so I had, a, I had a view that I wanted to progress and move on. I didn't necessarily know what I would end up doing. I didn't have that mapped out as a career plan in that sort of tight, narrow sense of the definition. I was reading Sheryl Sandberg's book, Lean In, and she mm. says very much what you're saying, that it's not necessarily a ladder, it's more of a jungle gym, so you go left mm. and right wherever your skills might be needed. Absolutely. Would you agree with that? I would, yes, because I think as you capture experience along the way, it adds to what you have to offer to others, and it isn't always a straight, a straightforward ladder. You know, it could be a labyrinth. I don't know what the analogy is, but it, there are different ways and different paths that you can take. And sometimes the sideways moves can be more interesting. Tell me about your own career. What way, what way did you progress then after leaving university? Um, so as I said, I went into BT and I ended up moving into the sales environment because um, I really believe that to get to know a business, you need to be close to the customer and you need to understand what it is, why they, they do business with you, what it is they're looking from you. So I enjoyed doing sales for a while and, I, and that took me um, around the UK and overseas. Um, it also, uh, I suppose, got me one of the one of the people throughout my career who was a sponsor, who was a supporter, a mentor, whatever you want to call them, someone who uh, enjoyed working with me, saw potential in me, and gave me opportunities. And this particular individual uh, was a very senior manager in the sales world, and um, he gave me a, a sort of like a double promotion to bring me onto his leadership team at a relatively young age, relatively inexperienced for sales. 
um, and the only woman on the team. And he did that because he wanted to make a statement that, in his view, to get on in that world, he didn't have to follow a traditional path. And he also wanted to give me a chance. Um, so that was one of those opportunities that made a big difference. And in actual fact, I, I then followed him um, after that sales opportunity in that sales role into the world of mobile communications. And what happened then? You worked in Telefonica, as it was? Or? No. So first of all, in, in, in mobile, I did marketing and customer service. Um, he, he let me almost choose my role, which was fantastic. Um, and that would have been in the mid to late 90s. Um, I then moved overseas and lived in Germany for three years, and that was with BT. Um, we then demerged and floated off our mobile communications business, which is what became O2. And in that process, I moved from Germany and took on the role in Ireland. Telefonica came on the scene quite late, as they actually bought us as a company back in 2006. Um, so we kind of hopped around geographically and hopped around in different roles. And that's how I ended up here in Ireland. But there was a lot of change to cope with. But you did you just roll with those changes or did yeah. you ever doubt with them? No, I, I, I'm the sort of person that d I quite enjoy change. So I, I tend to look forwards. I don't tend to look backwards. I'm always looking for the next new thing. That can be a distraction sometimes and it can not be terribly helpful for everyone, but that's just the way I'm made. So for me, coping with change is not as stressful as it can be for others. I actually find it quite energising. Um, in terms of you know, going to a job that you don't know much about or that you may not think that you tick all the boxes, mm. they often say that women will not even apply for a job unless they tick all 10 boxes, whereas a man will have, well, a second, tick three of those boxes, mm. I'll go mm. for it. Would you recommend to women and to young people, you know, to, to stretch yourself a little bit in Completely. terms of le leadership and why? Yeah, there's a phrase getting out of your comfort zone or putting yourself in situations where it's a real stretch. And there's quite a lot of research that says that that's important um, if for women if they want to progress, but just generally for young people. And it's about learning, I think. It's about um, pushing yourself uh, stretching your experience so that, you know, you may fail and you may fall over and you may make mistakes, but if you don't do that, then you can't learn. If you only ever stay in a role or a, a place or a sector that you feel comfortable in, then that's exactly what you'll be, is comfortable. Um, and it's really important to take those leaps sometimes in order to prove to yourself what you can and can't do um, but unless you do that, you just you won't. I don't think you develop sufficiently. What do you think the key elements of leadership are? Uh, I mean, it kind of boils down to two things. I think for me, one is is you could call it strategy. You can call it, um, you know, focus. It's about knowing which way you're heading. So having done your analysis and thinking with other people, it's just that it's deciding on a direction you're heading in and being really clear about that uh, in your own mind and to others. Um, and that requires uh, analytical thought, communication skills, all of those things that we know about on that leadership thing. But, but having focus in a direction is very important. And then the second thing about leadership is making sure you have um, the right resources to achieve that plan. And yes, that means finance and, and technical resources, but most important of all, it's about people. It's about having the right team around you, uh, creating an environment in which they can succeed. Um, 
and making sure that their skills are always suited to to them, uh, to their role, sorry, so their skills match their role, but also for the times that you face. So always checking in that, you know, are you sure that you're right, the right leader still for the times and the objectives that you have? And then secondly, have you got the right team? In terms of teams and people, do you find there are differences between the way men and women work on teams or are we all just different individuals? Um, you see, I, I always get very nervous about stereotyping. <laughs> you know? I, I just, everybody is different. And I don't mean that in a cliched sense. We are different. Um, there are certain types of ways of doing things which can be more characteristic of the female than the male. Um, and if you get too many of one type or the other, then I think that's a dangerous thing. Um, but on the whole, I think having a diverse team, whether that's gender or other types of diversity, diversity of thought is as important as, frankly, of gender. I think that's as important as thinking about this male-female dynamic. Um, and I've seen men who are bullies. I've seen men who are introverts. I've seen men who are fantastic, kind, you know, family people. I've seen men who are brilliant role models. And I've seen the same in women. I think having leadership teams who in some way more closely represent who you're selling to, you know, is just a better business practice. So having a mix of types of people around the table can give you different perspectives, different lenses into how to how your market looks and feels so that you can address it more effectively. And I also think it's important that you avoid this horrible term groupthink. You know, that everybody agrees with everybody because they come from the same background, the same school, the same attitude to life, the same value set. And that can work for a while but can be very dangerous as well. It can, it can cause you to make decisions that are not you know, consistent with um, achieving uh, in the broader marketplace. And having people on a team that will challenge the thinking. You know, that everybody's racing ahead with decision A and having someone who sees it differently and says, hang on a second, there could be a different way of doing this. I just think having that diversity gives you the opportunity to have different thoughts on the table and potentially come out with different ideas that can differentiate you from your competition. Um, and without that, we're all the same. So I just think really being conscious of that and watching for it is important. Not sure quotas is the right answer, but being conscious of it throughout the process of recruitment and promotion <clears throat> eventually will, will mean you'll move in that direction. There's a lot of research being done in Harvard um, on the whole area of unconscious mm, bias. Yes, I've seen it. Um, and it seems to be very much coming into management thinking now, does it actually, you're on several boards now, is it the sort of thing that's ever talked about at board level? Um, not as a topic in its own right. I think uh, I hear increasingly businesses, um, I suppose, reflect on it in terms of their, the way they manage people in their organisations. So thinking about... Um, they don't use that term, but making sure that they have a diversity of people around the table at the top, but also throughout the organisation, thinking about, you know, are we broad enough in our views around what a good career path looks like? You know, particularly in moving to a digital world, we may need to recruit people who are not, don't conform to the model of the world that we currently have, whether that's because they're very computer literate and they work in a different way. 
um, you know, having good discussions around how to bring bright women back from maternity leave and be flexible in our attitude to how they can work, you know, stopping with this view of presenteeism. So understanding and being aware of our judgments and biases in that regard can help us be more flexible in how we retain and develop really great talent from all different perspectives and skills and walks of life. So it's not used as that phrase. I think it's about awareness. People would talk about awareness, self-awareness, and then how they develop their teams and people strategies around that. I think the maternity care and childcare is a big issue for many women. Do you think there needs to be more effort put into putting conditions in place so that those who are out on maternity leave can be rehabilitated, or maybe that's yeah. the wrong word, but you know, you know, how do we hold on to talented women, how to talented people? Does the workplace need to change for both men and women in that regard, in terms of parenting? I think the, the atti- as I said to you, I think the attitude of what good looks like needs to change. I'm aware of some work that the team in Accenture in Ireland have done around this very issue of bringing people, young women back from maternity leave effectively. Because in those early years, any of us who are mothers know just how stressful that is. In fact, young fathers as well know how stressful that is and how logistics come to play. And if you don't create a work environment in which it's flexible and you trust someone to get the work done, but they don't necessarily have to be in the office from nine to five, or worse still, from eight to eight, um, then I think you're, you're going to lose out on this talent that you've invested in. So thinking about, um, you know, for example, in Accenture, I know they have a buddy system. So as someone is going to come back uh, from maternity leave, they've been kept in touch with during that process. They find out what's been happening in the work, uh, in the workplace. As they come back to work, they have someone that they can talk to about the challenges they're facing, who encourages them to stick with it through the tough times. Um, you know, having an environment where it's okay to go home at four deal with the kids and if you then need to do a bit of work at eight it's not ideal but you know what you have to be flexible as an individual and as a company to allow that to happen so I do think thinking very consciously about young parents and how we allow them to still be present in their careers and progress without having to have these norms that we think of as good I think that's very important I see I see more and more companies really thinking that through and trying to to manage their needs against the needs of their um, employees. Seemingly the millennial generation who were born around 1985 Mm -hmm. are being much more choosy in terms of the companies that they want to go to. So particularly the young women who are now more highly educated. Do you think this is something that companies are going to have to think about if they want to attract really talented Absolutely. I was with a group of Generation Zs, which is terrifying. I didn't realise we'd moved on from Y recently, just, just this week. Their view of the world of work and of education even is fundamentally different to the view that we have. They don't, some of them, an increasing number of them do not see the relevance even for doing a degree. And I can absolutely understand that because they see that they can educate and gain experience in ways that are fundamentally different to us. They don't see a career in one organisation in the way that we may have been brought up to expect. They think that they have lots to offer different organisations. A lot of them are much more ambitious about creating their own businesses and the digital world allows them to do that. So they have a very different view of, you know, well, I'm actually not sure I want to work in a corporate environment because you know what? 
I want to be in charge of my own life a bit more. And they are very bright, very capable, absolutely fantastic young talent. And I think organisations are going to have to think very differently. We're going to have to imagine a world in which we might recruit somebody at 23, but they may only stay five years, go away, do something else, they potentially may come back. But this concept of lifelong careers in one organisation that we help you know, groom the next generation, I think we have to start rethinking that. Now, you mentioned, just to bring you back to your own career and that, um, did you have a family when you were moving from uh, England to, or UK to Germany, to Germany and yes. Ireland? And how did you cope? How did you manage all of that? Um, so the when we moved to Germany, my two boys were nine months and three. That was challenging. <laughs> um, how did I cope with that? Well, first of all, I mean, you get organised. Secondly, you make sure you've got a good support network around you. Uh, at that stage in my career, I was lucky enough that we could afford to have a nanny help us out. Um, so we always had someone at home just helping out. Um, when we moved to Germany, actually, my husband decided that, first of all, he didn't speak German. And secondly, he had an advertising business so he was not going to translate to Germany. So he sold his partnership in that and he stayed around more for the boys um, than than he would have done back in the UK. So that was hugely helpful. But still, with all of that support, it was quite stressful um, because we didn't have any family there or here. Um, so when there's a crisis, you've, you've got to make sure you've got enough people who will step in and help. I was really lucky in Germany and in Ireland. I had absolutely fantastic PAs, executive assistants, now friends, uh, Erna and Ornia. Sound very similar names, aren't they? Um, the, and they were just a rock because when there was a crisis they also stepped in to help in in lots of ways to make life a bit easier for me that doesn't happen to everyone because they're not all at that you know a senior enough level to to have that type of support but that's what I built around me and I wasn't afraid to ask for support either um you know I didn't I didn't feel the need to do everything myself and that's what I say to others <laughs> you don't have to do it all because you physically can't I think the other thing as well is is accepting that you're making a conscious choice to pursue a career as well as have a family, which means compromise. And that will mean difficult times, you know, when you're not there and you have to try and stop beating yourself up and feeling guilty about it because you've made the choice. So if you make the choice, don't regret the choice. You have to work with it. And there's no point, if you feel eaten up inside about the fact you're not at home, then you need to reflect deeply on whether you actually want to be at home more or whether you still want to pursue your career. So I tell a lot of young people not to beat themselves up about it as well, because you can't do it all, and neither can the, neither can the fathers. Do you ever think about your own uh, leadership style, or what is your own authentic leadership style? Do you know, I always struggle with that question, because, you know, style implies that... Um, you're sort of consciously putting on a, I don't know, a guise or a mask. So, so the kind of person I am, um, and I've heard this term sort of authentic leadership, it's about, I suppose, ultimately being uh, comfortable in your own skin, but, you know, also aware, self-aware of of how you behave and your impact of, the, of your behaviour on others. And so it wasn't necessarily changing style, it was becoming aware of the things that I thought I did okay and the things that I didn't do so well in terms of leading teams and, and leading people and 
trying to be as much myself as possible, but myself in work, not myself at home. You know, there are lots of, all of us have different myselves. And the last thing I need is me at home replicated at work and vice versa. Um, so it's authentic up to a, up to a point. You know, you are you're in a professional role. Um, so what I would try to do always is respect others. And I would always try and reflect on, you know, am I treating other people the way I would want to be treated? Um, and there are times in my career when I didn't and I used to have to sit back and go, you know, how would you feel if you were on the receiving end of, of this decision or this behaviour? And I always went back to two or three brilliant people that I'd worked for who had, you know, common characteristics that I admired. And and w- I would like to think more often than not, I I was like them, but there are times when I wasn't. Christine Lagarde um, has been quoted as saying, um, you know, this imposter syndrome, I think we all, male and female, go through it, that we look in the mirror and say, am I really, you know, this person that has achieved all of this, you know, and we sort of have that moment of self-doubt and, you know, like the mask that you put on. Does that ever happen to you? And what is the self-talk that goes on in your head oh, if it does? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I, I won't say where, but I was appointed to a board and walked into the boardroom and had that immediate uh, sense of, I'm out of my depth. What am I doing here? You know, I'm not good enough. And all that stuff goes on in your head. And we all have that from time to time, regardless of what situation we're in. Um... And I just, I suppose when I faced that, I realised that um, at one time in my career I had that and I, and I just sort of slept on it and woke up one morning and thought, oh, you just have to be yourself. You have to say truthfully what you think on, on an issue, express it in whatever way is best for you. And if that's not good enough, then so be it. But it's what you are and it's why you're chosen to be at the table. And so that's what I remind myself of, because when I did that at a critical point in my career, it made a fundamental difference to my contribution and how I um, was, at, was at a particular board table. Uh, and so I just remind myself of that now, and I just take a deep breath and go, OK. And very often, something that I was going to say, if I'm having those little talks with myself in my head about, I'm not sure that's the right point, and have I really understood that point, a bloke will turn around and make the very same point and I'll kick myself then for not having said it earlier. So I've learned over time that, you know, there's no such thing as a really stupid question at the board. As long as you're knowledgeable about the topic, that's what you're there to ask is the obvious sometimes. It's about trusting yourself, I think. Absolutely, really, yeah. yeah. Um, advice for the millennial generation, for the... The, the people coming down the line now mm. for people who are starting out in their careers and they may be self-employed as you say or they may go into a big accountancy firm or a mm. legal firm what would be maybe three things that you advise them to think about as they start their careers so I think um, if they want to get on not everybody does so that's okay but if they are are ambitious and they have drive then always look where there is change happening or if they're in the type of sector where there's very fast growth, go, go for that. Because wherever there's, a, there's growth, there's always more things to do than there are people to do it. So you'll always be faced with an opportunity to develop. And where there's change, that always means you can make a difference. If cultures are changing, businesses are changing, there's always something in there 
rather than it be a static environment. So look for something that's moving so that you can progress with that, I think would be one thing. The second thing I refer back to earlier in the conversation is when opportunities come your way, always be open to saying yes. And don't be, you know, if it doesn't look like a logical step change, you know, ladder-shaped progression, don't dismiss an opportunity just because it doesn't look traditional. Because sometimes those sideways moves can actually give you great uh, opportunity to find out something about yourself and learn new experiences. Um, and the other thing is just, just relax and be yourself. You know, it's very hard for young people to do that. But when they do, when you see them get comfortable in their own skin younger rather than wait till they're 45 to get there, it's brilliant to see because they do then flourish and fulfil their potential, I think, faster than if they always spend their time worrying about what others think of them. And it's hard to do, easy for me to say at my stage in life, but you know, I would encourage them to work with people who are like that because they'll find it's a much more enriching experience, they'll have more space to grow themselves. Very good advice. Um, and finally, um, you may have heard this this quote before from Madeleine Albright. She says uh, she has one message she always insists on sharing with professional women, and that is to look around the room at the faces of your colleagues and remember that there is a special place in hell reserved for women who refuse to help one another, who can kind of pull the ladder up yeah. behind them. Yeah. Would you agree with that? <laughs> I love the quote. Um, yeah, I, I, when I was... I suppose at an earlier stage in my career, I I never understood the importance of role models. Um, I didn't see it as an issue. But as I have got older and I've been lucky enough to get to senior role, I know how important it is for other younger women to hear from women like me and to get our support in just giving them a bit of guidance. It doesn't mean we can find them a job. But if we can help them along the way to develop faster, I think that's important for them and I think it's important for us. If we're serious about seeing more women at the top, um, then we have to play a part in that. And I think that's exceedingly important. Uh, I started my career in the mid-80s and I'm not sure that we have fundamentally shifted in the representation of women in senior roles in business and elsewhere and therefore I think you know my generation the one just behind me needs to do more to help the younger ones achieve what we um, didn't do on a large enough scale. Now you mentioned um, a senior manager a a man I think who had been influential in your career progression have there been other key men in your life and you mentioned your husband there as well Mm. but any other key men or male role models who have made a huge difference or who've helped you along the way even by what they might say or how they might help Mm. you in work so it started with my father who had a fundamental belief in the equality of all i mean just deep whether that was to do with girls and boys and their achievement at school or people of different color different religions he just absolutely passionately believed that we should respect everyone because they all had something to give So that started the whole process. He didn't classify me as his princess. I was his princess, but, you know, I was equally as capable as as my brother. My husband, obviously, has been a huge support to me. And there have been three men I've worked with. I've only ever worked for men, which is interesting. It just just was. But there were three guys who I think gave me probably the biggest opportunities. And they were all similar. They were very balanced. They were family men. 
They had a lower ego than you would typically find at a very senior level in business. And that meant that they believed in having very good people around them, but giving them room to grow and experience and to fail. I was allowed to fail with those guys and they gave me opportunities. And I always think about that. I always tried to remember that, that they stepped out of the way to let me develop. So as a leader, I tried to learn that you need to give people room to do what you've asked them to do and not task manage them and micromanage them and be in control all the time because otherwise people won't grow. Um, and they just, as I say, they, they lived by that tenet of treating others as they wanted to be treated. And they were fantastic. Um, and all three of them I stay in touch with as friends now. I think they were super people. And I contrast those with others who were much more controlling, who had characteristics of bullies, who were just unpleasant to work with. And it wasn't a pleasant environment to be with the latter, with the former. You actually look forward to going into work. It was fun. You had you had good laugh as well as worked hard. Um, so they were ones that, that I thought were really excellent. Terry, Hugh and Peter, their names. Um, how do you cope with them when you're working in a, in a place where there is bullying? Mm. I mean, it happens to all women. Uh, at some point, it happens to men too, I know. But, you know, when you come across that sort of um, just occasional jibes that might have an edge of sexual innuendo, what, have you a coping mechanism? Or how do you <laughs> I give as that? good as I get is what I've learned, I think. Um, yeah, I, it's, sometimes it's the subtle bullying that's, you know, as, as damaging as the obvious. Uh, the obvious, I've always just said, you know, get out from under someone who is just a horrific bully. You know, move on. Um, they're very difficult to deal with. But the subtle comments... Um, like what? Well, they would... Well, there was an interesting one I worked with, a gentleman I worked with who was on the same board as me, and he would... When more junior, or he perceived more junior people, would make a, an intervention... He would very charmingly, very dismissively say, that's very interesting, but let's get back to a strategic level of debate. It took me months to realise what a put-down that was. And he didn't just do it to me, he did it to others. And um, you just have to fight back sometimes. So depending on the topic, you say, well, but it is important for us in terms of our strategy, so let's discuss the point. And I found very often... In all sorts of ways, if you push back on some of those individuals, they they retreat back because you're sending a subtle signal, which is, I'm not going to be put down by you, sunshine, <laughs> nicely, and they will retreat back. Is it about calling it as soon as you hear it rather than sitting? It's about looking, about it. It, absolutely, and it's also about looking them in the eye and sending that other body language-based signal, which is, I know what you're trying to do, and I'm not going to put up with it. And I've been in other situations where, you know, people will have, you know, I don't know, but try to diminish you, you know, because you're female and they'll refer to something that's fussy and flowery and feminine, you know, and you just, you just give as good as you get. Are there advantages to being feminine sometimes in a boardroom of men? Um, yes, because sometimes I think we can say things which are um, probably not seen as threatening. You know, the the competition between some guys can be quite testosterone-filled sometimes, certain types of individuals. But yet there's a valid point that they're arguing about, but it can escalate to something that it doesn't need to. 
And sometimes if a woman makes the same point, you can actually then have a good discussion around the issue without there being that edge to what's seen as a confrontation, which it isn't. It's just about having a different point of view. And so I think that can help. That can help get things on the table sometimes where if it was just left to the two of them, it would just end up in a shouting match. Is that kind of emotional intelligence? <laughs> yeah, it's just the way we it's the way we use language sometimes. It's just, you know, if it's said with a feminine voice, they won't take it in the same way. Finally, we're coming to the end now. Would you have a favourite motto or um, a line that you live by? You know, something that maybe somebody said to you once or maybe somebody in your family. Something that you think is very core to you that you hold true. It's this, it's this thing of respect. Treating other people as you would want to be treated. And I try as much as I can to live by that. Whether that's in business and leadership or just gen- day to day. I just have a fundamental belief that it is not okay to disrespect another human being just because of their status, their position in life, their colour, their creed. That's not acceptable. So always, always, and I think that comes from parents and from being very young, which is to treat others as you would be treated. Tinder's great. Thank you very much. I hope you've been inspired by what you hear on the Women in Leadership podcast and I hope that you're all set to go out and dream big dreams and be ambitious. Till the next episode, goodbye from me, Angie Mazzetti and the Women in Leadership team. And don't forget, if you'd like to sponsor the podcast or advertise on the website, do get in touch. Info at womeninleadership.ie And if there's an inspirational leading woman you'd like to hear more from, or if you can suggest any woman that is an inspiration to you in the community, in politics, in business, in sport, music, technology, finance or economics, do let us know through info at womeninleadership.ie.